This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is the progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Welcome to Politics and Right on KPFT. My name is Egberto Willis. We are going to have a great show for you today, folks. Georgia is on my mind. Georgia is going to determine if we take, when I say we, progressives and Democrats take control of the United States Senate. If that does not happen, it's going to really make Biden's job very difficult. It's going to make the job of progressives very difficult. I want to thank Emily Wynn, Brenda Neal, Teresa Allen, Judy Middleton, Dave Bartlow, Anand Bhatt, David Morris, Jimbo Matujek, Brenda Gunter, Bruce Pollard, and Jim Davis for supporting Politics Done Right during our silent, our, what we called our silent time of pledges in December. You are our heroes of the month. You ensure that we can continue doing what we do. Thank you so kindly. Anyhow, we're going to have a great show for you today. We have two, two great guests. Our first guest is somebody all our KPFT folks are very used to. It's Greg Palace. Greg Palace is out there in Georgia. He's working his butt off. He's doing it. He sued Georgia. He made sure some changes got made along with the team of people out there. Many organizations are out there working hard. Grassroots organizations are busting their butts and having a, a, an investigative reporter to work alongside with them has made a huge difference in uh, what they're able to attain, as you, can, as you know. Uh, Biden won Georgia by about 12,000, just under 12,000 votes. So that is one of the things that we're issuing. And the second interview we have is with uh, Dr. Anand Bhatt. Dr. Anand Bhatt is a millennial. He's a, uh, he's a Berniak. He's a guy who really uh, 
goes out there as a doctor and work the system, work and help people. So uh, we, we, uh, we want to hear his thoughts on healthcare. He's working currently in Louisiana, and he has some interesting facts that not a whole lot of people are going to really say, oh, I didn't know that. And likewise, we have a piece from Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams uh, really put one of the hosts on this week on what I what I said is that they put her on she put her on her tail for trying to create a false equivalence between Donald Trump's loss and Abrams' loss in Georgia. But anyhow, I want you to listen to both of these. So, what should we be saying? I want you to give us a call at seven one three five two six five seven three eight. And continue to support our show, 713-526-5738. Continue to support us or go to kpft.org, kpft.org. Click that Donate button. In the name of Politics Done Right, please support the program. We are making sure that the progressive message goes out there, not only in Houston, not only in metropolitan Houston, but in the entire uh, country and beyond. But without further ado... Greg Palast. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Everybody knows that the eyes, the political eyes are now on Georgia. Georgia is going to determine the destiny of this country for the next few years. And right in the midst of this, we continue with the one and only investigative reporter, the guy who's been all over the world from the, from the uh, uh, Guardian to the to every news, major newspaper around the, country, around the world. Greg Palast from gregpalast.com. How are you doing today, my friend? Okay, glad to be with you again, Egberto. Well, look, I understand. And in fact, I, I just watching MSNBC, I see all these lines that are wrapped around for blocks, for miles, for people attempting to vote, mostly in locations of people of color. Explain yes. to me what's going on. Explain to me what uh, you and the team are doing down there to try to mitigate much of what's going on. Okay, so we have a hell of a team down in Atlanta. Look, I've been covering um, Georgia, investigating vote suppression, Jim Crow tactics in Georgia for seven years. So while a lot of reporters are just suddenly discovering Georgia thing, Georgia's a swing state. They always thought it was deep south red. But they don't understand, as Martin Luther King III told me uh, back uh, seven years ago when I started, he said, you know, Georgia's a blue state if they'd let us vote. So this is not really about Democrat or Republican. It's about right and wrong. They've been uh, the, the GOP. And I don't I'm not going to just pick on Republicans because, you know, I've as you know, I've investigated Democrats for vote shenanigans, too. But in Georgia, it is the Republican Party and its officials which have gone which have used all these brand new, sophisticated Jim Crow tactics to remove voters. In particular, um, one of the things that uh, that I'm involved with in the Palace Investigative Fund, if you go to gregpalace.com, you'll check it out, is that black, I worked with, um, well, first of all, I found out uh, that the state had removed a third of a million people from the voter rolls before this election, before the general. A third of a million on the grounds that they left the state, that they'd moved. And obviously, Egberto, if you can't, if you don't live in Atlanta, you don't live in Georgia, you can't vote in Georgia because it's a felony crime to do so. So I checked into it um, and I hired the experts on where people live. 
it's known as the post office <laughs> and there are other uh, agencies, but, um, and I check with the post office, which you can do. You can hire a post office contractor. And the post office said 198,351 people, almost 200,000 people never moved from Atlanta or Georgia, but they're removed from the voter rolls anyway. And this included Martin Luther King's 92-year-old cousin. I was there at the polls when she was thrown out. Also, we have um, uh, Mr. Diaz and Mr. Watson. We have uh, Ashley Jones. We have a bunch of people. And and overwhelmingly, interestingly, these are voters of color. Now, there are some white people, but they tend to be young white students, including, by the way, my daughter, who is a voter in Savannah. So what's going on here? Um, this is hidden from the public eye while the while the um, the mainstream press is praising weirdly praising the official, the voting officials of Georgia saying, oh, they stood up to Trump. No, they didn't. Biden won by in didn't win by 12,000 votes. He won by over 112,000 votes. They didn't allow people to vote. They just couldn't steal enough to steal it for uh, Trump. But now we're into a dual U.S. Senate runoff, which will determine the fate of which party controls the U.S. Senate. Whoever wins this race controls the U.S. Senate. Everything's on the line. And so with Black Voters Matter, uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson's organization, Rainbow Push, with the Southwest Voter Registration Education Project, which is like the big frontline Hispanic organization, um, they've sued in federal court based on my findings, a report I did, in fact, released by the ACLU of Georgia. And based on those findings, they've sued in federal court to return these people to the voter rolls. Now, now, the good news is that there will be a trial to get these people back on the voter rolls. The bad news is that uh, the judge turned down our demand to return them to voter rolls before this election on January 5. And he did so, and I'm going to be very blunt, something I'm going to say is very unusual. He did so because the state lied. They went into a federal court and they lied to a federal judge. They wrote letters to a federal judge, which are a lie. What's the lie? When we found out that, you know, I didn't just guess that 198,351 people had been wrongly removed. I have all their names and addresses. They're still there. I go to their homes. They're still there. Um, And so we checked with the post office. So the state lied and said they checked with the post office. Because you have to understand, checking with the post office if someone moved, it's just common sense at Berto, but it's more than common sense. It's federal law. The federal law says you have to check with the post office before you take away someone's vote on the grounds that they've left, that they've moved. So that's what... Uh, that's so we sued, but we couldn't get the injunction because they lied. They said, oh, we did check with the post office. Now we'll we'll bust the lie, but not till the trial. Now, shouldn't somebody birth. have to go to jail for actually lying to the court? I would hope so. I would hope so. Remember, right now, that's unlikely because we don't have a justice department. We have an injustice department. And I'm hoping that that will change with Biden. Don't count on it. The Democratic Party has not been strong on voter protection, and I'm going to be very blunt about it. Um, Why is that? Timid. It's when they claim, claim, like to claim that. Well, that's a very interesting question, and, and I've, I'm asked that all the time. Well, where are the Democrats? 
And I won't say that they've completely disappeared because in Georgia, I mean, the clear leader of the Democratic Party is Stacey Abrams. So in the case of Georgia, it's very different. But in 49 other states, you have very little interest of the Democratic Party in protecting uh, voter registration. Well, yeah. let, me, let me stop you a second, uh, Greg. I drew at one of your press conferences. I drew the ire of one of the leaders of an organization because I said, why do we go through this every two years? In other words, why are the voting machines? Do we wait? And, and I don't know if that's the case, but it seems to me from from my vantage point that every year we see the lines. How comes during the rest of the year, we're not saying make sure those voting machines are there, we're waiting, we're watching to ensure that we don't, at the end of the day, when everything is already calculated where machines are going to be, that that occurs. Is there, am I missing something here? Well, look, I don't want to say that the Democratic Party has been completely out to lunch on this, um, because, for example, um, there uh, was an attempt by a, a right-wing organization called True the Vote to remove, are you ready for this? 300,000 voters from the voter rolls challenging them. Georgia has this weird law in which anyone can challenge anyone else's vote and say they shouldn't be allowed to vote. That's leftover Jim Crow racist um, stuff. But an organ, so it hasn't been used until recently, until this month when uh, True the Vote challenged 300,000 voters. And I will say that the Democrat, a Democratic Party organization did go to court. Yes. At 198,351, they said it moved from their addresses. And I went to their addresses. They're at home. We got a Mr. Diaz. He's been, he says, I've been living in this house for 13, 14 years. Um, I filmed them. And then here's what happened. We took these people's names. The judge in the federal case that we filed to put these people back on says, well, um, because the state was making phony noises that they would meet with us and work things out. Because even the judge recognized that the state's list of people that they'd stopped from voting was a phony. He recognized it as he called it discrepancies. Well, discrepancies, about 200,000 discrepancies. So um, they pretended that they were going to meet with us, but then they never met with us to get this straightened out before the election. So uh, me, when I say us, so Latasha Brown, head of Black Voters Matter, co-founder, Latasha Brown and I um, went to, uh, we announced we were going to the Secretary of State's office. The Secretary of State is one of those guys that uh, in each state, which is in charge of your votes, who gets to vote, where you get to vote, et cetera. So we went uh, to, uh, we said we're going to his office at 11 o'clock to have our meeting and to give him further notice of further legal action. We did so. Uh, when we we were marching up the steps of the state capitol, you know, this old Confederate building with the Confederate statues and all that stuff. And we go past the governor's office. Next door is the uh, secretary of state. And the door is locked. The door is locked and the lights are out. Trying to hide from us because we're trying to give them legal notice and in front of the camera say, when are we going to have this meeting? So they literally just try to hide from us in the dark. So said, okay. And they had a phone number on the door. We dial a phone number and, of course, just says, leave a message. Well, they thought that they could avoid us. But then Latasha Brown, head of Black Voters Matter, said, I have an idea. I know that they have another office in another building. So we shot over there with the cameras following us. And sure enough, the director of elections was hiding in another office. We found him. We said, OK, come here. And we slapped him with the new legal papers. 
And we said, where's the meeting? Uh, Latasha Brown says, where's the meeting we're supposed to have? And then I asked a very interesting question. I said, why'd you lie to the federal court? Why did you lie to a court and say uh, that you checked with the post office that these people had moved when you hadn't? Do you want to put their names back on? I gave them the names of the people I just talked to. In fact, that morning, there was a Mr. Samuel. Um, I just spoke to that morning. He said, I haven't moved in 20 years. Um, and, uh, you know, again, Mr. Diaz, um, Martin Luther King's cousin, all these people said, you want to put him back on the voter rolls? He says, well, well, we'll take a look at it. What do you mean that you'll take a look at it? They're not, they haven't moved. They haven't moved. They're legal voters. Why won't you let them vote? Let these people vote. So look, if the election is under, if the election margin ends up with, um, the Democrats down by 200,000, again, I'm not saying that the Democrats should win. I'm saying that the voters should make that choice. The voters should decide who should be in charge of the United States Senate, not Jim Crow trickery. And unfortunately, that's what we've got in Georgia, Jim Crow trickery. And, and there's other tricks that we've been uncovering there, too. And by the way, I'll be back there in, in Atlanta tomorrow with my team. Now, th- you said there's some other tricks that you've uncovered. Yes. What are the tricks that you uncover? Well, for example, go to gregpalace.com and you'll see a story. excuse me bless you yeah uh you'll see a story that we did we went to cobb county atlanta now cobb county i think you did some videos on that right yes yes and so yes there's a great video by um zach roberts it's is that Uh, a nine minute video uh that's uh that's about a three minute video three minute video okay there'll be more videos coming um, in fact, we'll have a new one out from uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is launching next uh, on Monday um, about what we're up to. But here we have a three minute video there in Cobb County. Now, Cobb County is one of six counties that make up Atlanta. It has half a million voters. Now, this was considered rock solid Republican. This was represented by Newt Gingrich in Congress. So you can imagine how conservative mm-hmm. it is. Well, guess what? In November... Joe Biden won. He didn't just win. He just swept Cobb County, which shocked their Republican-controlled board, uh, county board. What was their reaction? There were 11 voting, uh, only 11 early voting stations in the general election. Not enough. And they had three-hour lines. So rather than increase the number of voting stations, they cut the number of voting stations by more than half, from 11 to 5. All six voting stations that they closed all six were in african-american neighborhoods all six wow stations closed so we put some publicity you know we uh you know we we uh raised the uh, uh an alarm with barbara arnwine professor barbara arnwine at columbia university you have to understand she's probably the considered the best uh voting rights attorney in america so she actually went to cobb and raised hell. So they, they opened up two stations. Um, now, un, it's by the way, it's, it's not only, it's against two laws. You can't target black voting, black neighborhoods to close stations. That's a violation of federal law. We still have the Voting Rights Act. That's a violation. But it's also a violation of Georgia law. Georgia law says you can't be closing polling stations. Once you've established them, you can't close them. So it's a straight up violation of law, but you know what they do? They go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Take us to court. Like we've done. And you'll get a trial next year after the election, after the election. Yeah. And this there's happens no recourse all the time. Then. You know, the ACLU told me, you know, 
what we run into in courts is either we're too early to say, oh, you're, you're too early to file a case. No one's been harmed. And then you get near the election and say, oh, it's too close to the election to correct things. Well, excuse me. So we're fighting these things. But part of the, the good thing about the fight, Egberto, is that it makes people aware of how important their vote are. One right. thing that Stacey Abrams proved, the, see, the Democratic Party, you have to understand, when you ask. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller. I'll take two tomatoes and a cucumber. Poodle pamperer, piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. I'm Robert Conti, chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelt save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. Why is the Democratic Party reticent about taking on what we call vote suppression? That is not allowing people of color to vote. Um, and, and part of it is there, there was a theory that it seized the party, that if you talk about stealing your vote, that people would be say, well, they're going to steal my vote, so why should I bother voting? Right. That's not what happens. What Stacey Abrams proved in Georgia is that if you make it issue number one, that they're stealing your vote. People say, you're not going to steal my vote. I'm going to go vote. So you've had, so with Stacey Abrams pounding on the, the issue and Latasha mm-hmm. Brown of Black Voters Matter, and of course, Greg Palace, the Palace Investigative Fund, saying your vote is in jeopardy. It's actually ended up with record turnouts in 18 and in November. And now you've, I mean, this it's is a again. runoff. You know, this is a runoff. Nor, normally people don't vote in runoffs. These lines are hours and hours long. I mean, it's horrible that it's hours, but it's also exciting. People, and there's scary. a sense of excitement that people are like participating in something powerful, and they're saying, "Look, if I can't, you know, I'm gonna." And those who lost their vote are gonna make sure that five people vote in their place. So it's it's really exciting that the energy down there is quite amazing, and uh, because people are saying, you know. Think about it, Egberto. If someone steals your car, you don't throw them the keys and say, oh, what the hell? You might, I might as well just give you the keys. Right. No. Thief. In fact, that's why I don't use the vote, the term vote suppression very much. I, because it's vote thievery. You know, if your car, right, right. You don't say, you don't say my, my car has been suppressed. It's been stolen. So, uh, one of the things, uh, so it's been very exciting to see the people's reaction to this mass vote suppression. And we also had a lot of people. Uh, help out we had a big giant electronic billboard 20 by 40 feet wide it was amazing over atlanta saying check your registration with um the image of rosario dawson up there uh so at least people will oh there's a rosario then they see check your registration <laughs> now what are you what are you going to uh, uh atlanta tomorrow for i mean uh today's the last day of early vote in atlanta yes. in, in in georgia Yes, so today's the last day of early voting, right? And my team is down there. We have a t- uh, team of a dozen people in Georgia already. I I took a break to come home to, m- to my family for the holiday, but um, the I have a team down there following the early voting today. Now, isn't it interesting? Why would early voting today end today in Georgia when the election is Tuesday? Now, other states that have early voting. 
that continues up to election day. Right. I mean, what's the problem? The answer is they're not having any polling, any early voting this weekend. Why? Because the Sunday before elections is traditionally the day when African-Americans and Hispanic voters vote. That's souls the, to the poll, right? Soul, it's called souls to the polls. And the reason was is that a lot of lower income people don't have cars. Right. And so they go in caravans with a lot of different people in the church bus going from church. So Hispanic and, and black voters go after church as a group. And even I've, I've been in Dayton where people stand in line in freezing cold for five, six hours. But souls to the polls is a very important tradition, usually with a church dinner. Uh, it's a, and so they said, well, we can't have that. We can't have a whole bunch of black people jamming the polls on the Sunday before the election. So uh, it's a GOP plan. And, and look, I have no problem if they win an election. If they win this election, that that's democracy. If it's fair and square. It, yeah. But don't say, well, what we'll do is we'll eliminate the day when black people vote. We'll make it. We'll take them off the voter rolls. And say that they've left Georgia. We will uh, cl- close the voting stations of black neighbors. Come on. How about you? Tr- hey, can I give a bit of advice to the Republican Party? I'm nonpartisan, but I'll give advice. Here's my cheap advice. Why don't you convince people to vote for you as opposed to stopping them from voting? Maybe that's a new way of doing it. Just explain why you are the be- have the better candidate. The best choice. But no. Instead, they've got to use these tactics to say um, you can't vote. Um, and that's um, that's not American. So well, I'm very know, concerned about this. So well, that's I mean, why I'm going back down to to uh, to continue the investigation, which, by the way, and I want people to understand. You know, we tend to fall asleep between elections on the issue of vote suppression, on the issue of stealing votes. So, OK, so uh, Obama won in 2008 and everyone went to sleep, including his Justice Department. And he got reelection in 12, but there were all kinds of indications of problems. So that by 16, the acceleration of vote stealing techniques had gone unabated. So we fall asleep between elections. I'm very worried that after this election on Tuesday in Georgia, um, and the count may continue with a war for another week, we don't know. But when that's over, people are going to go to sleep again. And then in 2022, by the way, one of those Senate seats. We'll one of the up. senators is only two years long. Understand, right. there's a special election for one yes, of those two yes, seats. Up. Yes. So th- this election, you have to understand, it's crazy. It's going to be rerun in two years. We also expect Stacey Abrams to run for governor in two years. So once again, Georgia will be on the line. Georgia will determine who controls the United States Senate, not only on Tuesday, but in two years. And I can tell you right now, we'll be all jammed up looking at Tuesday. Uh, it'll be the big deal, and then, and then people go to sleep. No, actually, let let me push back on that. Uh, Good. You know why they won't? Because why? there's a gregpalace.com. There is a <laughs> politics done right, and there is a whole lot of independent folks that are saying we're not going to repeat 20, uh, 20, uh, 10. We're not going to repeat twenty sixteen. We are going to repeat twenty eighteen, twenty twenty. And 2022, that is going to be new, the new modus operandi. So you're, you're telling me that you'll actually have me on after the election. <laughs> oh, uh, Greg, you are a regular. I mean, you're okay. going to you're you, uh, we are going to make sure 
that that message stays out there. You are, go- I mean, you you are. Let, one of the things about it is when you have people on the ground. When you're on the ground out there, you can come out and say things the way they are. There are some videos that I I'm going to try to find. I think uh, one of your 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 uh, people that work for you sent yes. me a video, and she says, "Yes, please go ahead and play this as well." Yes. And okay. so um, it, it's one that has. The, I'm going to go ahead and do that as well because um, what we have is. We're not going to keep up this uh, mainstream media thing where we only deal with the flashy stuff. We're going to deal with the real stuff, and we're going to try to make it flashy so that the real stuff got get the coverage that it Well, needs I, I think our stuff is pretty darn interesting. I think yes. that we're less boring than the average news report of who's winning, who's up, who's down, what the polls say. This guy's winning, this guy's losing. It's the horse race stuff. I don't care about that. I care about what's really happening with the issues and with the voters. Absolutely and, so, Greg. And so Absolutely. what's happening is – you know, like the New York Times reported when we they did report when we filed our suit against the state of Georgia. And then they did a, a profile of uh, Latasha Brown yesterday. But they said our case was dismissed by the judge. No, it wasn't. Sorry, New York Times. You've got this wrong. Right. We have a trial coming up. What the judge said you can't do is he says you didn't give them enough notice. We didn't tell uh, to the state to put these people back on the rolls exactly vote now that's a heck of a lot so that's we lost technically it's called losing your uh, request for an emergency injunction but the trial is going ahead and the exposure of the lies of the state is going ahead and i know the truth is while we got in the new york times and when we file the suit because it's before the election i fear what happens after the election when we all go blind when the media stops no, covering no, those no. issues. We're, we're not letting that happen. Look, um, we got to go here, uh, Greg. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to add before we check out of here? No, just uh, stay tuned at, uh, at uh, obviously, Politics Done Right, and also go to gregpalast.com for our continuing reports up to and through the election, and most important, after the election. It's not over. It keep, let's not fall asleep, please, Keep aware. Go to gregpalast.com. Stay with politics done right. And folks, also, I want you to please uh, get his tweets. Greg underscore Palast. At Greg underscore Palast. Uh, because he sends out tweets frequently. And what yes. we need to do is for the people that are really out there on the ground, we yes. need to make sure that they get the visibility uh, so that people understand what's going on. When Greg talks about people falling asleep after the election, that has happened so many times. Let's not let that happen. Greg puts out some good tweets, and actually, sometimes he puts out some funny tweets. So yes. uh, <laughs> I try to make it entertaining. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, so it's so horrific again, stories. Please, right. So please go to gregpalast.com. And also, please, please uh, follow Greg underscore palace. Greg, it was my pleasure having you on Politics Done Right once again. Please keep up the great work because we need that work that you're doing out there with all those great people in Georgia. And back at you, same. Thank you, Egberto. By now, everyone has heard the tapes from Donald Trump. By now, everybody has heard Donald Trump try to coerce uh, the Secretary of State of Georgia into given him votes to cause a win of the state. Of course, it's not going to happen. But interestingly, Stacey Abrams appeared on this week. And again and again, you know, this has been put out there by the mainstream media several times because they have given traction to what Republicans have said. Hey, Donald Trump has the right to contest these elections, just like Stacey Abrams contested her gubernatorial run 
in 2018. But, you know, that is where false equivalents have caused Americans to think the plausibility of what Donald Trump is doing is, yeah, you know, it's possible, it's okay, you know. And the reason they do that is for some reason our mainstream media cannot differentiate between what's true, what's false, cannot differentiate between what's a, uh, a, a false equivalence and what should not even been given traction. I want you to listen to Stacy how she handled it. And I think, in effect, she made the host look small for trying that false equivalence, for trying to equate uh, Donald Trump's refusal to accept that he's a loser, as opposed to her who said, I am acquiescent to, the vo- to what the vote says, but we know there were some issues that caused And I'll, I'll, I'll read you an, uh, uh, some snippets from an Atlantic article that makes the case. You know that or some Republicans are arguing that President Trump's efforts to undermine the election are no different than yours in 2018, where you did not concede the gubernatorial race. I know you say that is different. It's different circumstances. But are you concerned about that reputation? Well, it's not simply different circumstances. It's apples and you know bowling balls. I pointed out that there were a series of actions taken that impeded the ability of voters to cast their ballots. And in almost every one of those circumstances, the courts agreed, as did the state legislature. We saw the evisceration of exact match. We saw a consent decree to make certain that people could vote by absentee without having their ballots discarded. We saw an expansion of training and an investment in local polling places so people have the ability to go and cast their ballots. We saw a reduction of lines from eight to 10 hours to 30 minutes, two hours. These are all things we proved both in court and we saw remedies to. By contrast, President Trump has lost every single one of his challenges in the state of Georgia, and he has no evidence. In fact, an audit, the fourth, I think, of this election, found that there was zero fraud in our signature match process. One person inadvertently signed for her husband against the rules, but otherwise... It is important for those in the mainstream media not to fall for what the other side is attempting to do create a false sense of uh, a false narrative. And that is exactly what the host did here. Do you feel they're asking her if she feels that somehow uh, differently that she should not have challenged Kemp's win in Georgia? And she pointed out straight out, it's between apples and bowling balls. Look, uh, these people are not dumb. All that she won in court. She also, uh, while Donald Trump lost completely in court, she got remedies. While given that Donald Trump lost completely in court, there were no remedies for Donald Trump. In other words, she got, she proved there was voter suppression. Donald Trump was attempting to prove voter fraud that didn't exist. But let's digress. There was voter fraud. It simply was on his side. It simply was there were people attempting to vote several times for Donald Trump. That is a fraud that has been found thus far. Look, 
Brian Kemp's, this was the title of the, the article soon after that election in 2018. Brian Kemp's lead in Georgia needs an asterisk. If the governor's race had taken place in another country, the State Department would have questioned its legitimacy. Why? The Democrat Stacey Abrams, a black woman, made a valiant effort to win the governor's race in Georgia, one of the original 13 states whose commitment to human bondage ensured that the U.S. Constitution would treat slavery with kid gloves. At State that was part of the Confederacy, a state scorched by Union General William Tecumseh Sherman in Civil War, a state that refused to accept the outcome of the war, treating the black residents as second-class citizens of that, until the federal government forced its hand a century later with the Voting Rights Act. She tried to write a new narrative for the state. Although Abrams has not yet conceded at, this, at the time of this article, on counted ballots, it looks as though the other side has won and the narrative is the same as ever. Abrams didn't have to fight just an electoral campaign. She had to fight a civil rights campaign against the forces of voter suppression. Indeed, I can't bring myself to say that Abrams lost because there is an asterisk next to the Republicans' opponent victory. Remember, this man was the Secretary of State as he ran for governor, meaning he controlled the election as he also ran for governor. Former President Jimmy Carter, a Georgian with much experience monitoring elections abroad, stressed that this conflict of interest ran counter to the most fundamental principles of democratic elections, that the electoral process be managed by an independent and impartial election authority. Kemp had no intention of relinquishing power. He all along claimed voter fraud, just like Donald Trump claiming voter fraud. Now, he won. It wasn't voter fraud. There was voter suppression. And again, Stacey Abrams, everything that she brought to court turned into remedies to prevent or to attempt to prevent some of these voter suppression irregularities. So don't be fooled by the mainstream media when they attempt to create false equivalences. I don't know why. They're the fourth estate. They're there to give the truth. But you know what, folks? We now have independent media to refute or to explain or to make more aware the realities as opposed to what many times are the things that give, the, let's say, the Trump people the reason to have the doubts that they have. It's not the Trump people's fault. It's that we have allowed our mainstream media, we have allowed a media to be used by those who would do wrong. I am once again with Dr. Anand Bhatt. He's one of the young doctors, progressive doctors out there that is really getting the work done. I have a few questions for him. And, you know, today he said, Egberto, you didn't tell me exactly why you wanted me here. And I said that I did that on purpose. But anyhow, Senor Bhatt or Dr. Bhatt, yes. first of all, how are you doing? Uh, um, I'm, I'm fine. I, I'm, uh, I'm here in Louisiana and, uh, yeah, I have nothing to do right now. Well, well, look. Have yeah, you been? Uh, have you? I I understand that Louisiana is not as bad as it was a few um a few months ago when the the COVID uh, uh, infection rate was very very high out there, one of the highest in the world actually. Mm -hmm. They they had uh, several waves. I think because they were part of the initial wave right. when uh, Mardi Gras hit, and mm -hmm. so New York and New Orleans were very high. Now. Um, um, uh, then they had like a second wave. Now maybe a third wave. It just, 
it, it, it never really like slowed down. The issue I'm noticing is our governor uh, has a, a mask mandate, but when I'm outside of uh, Shreveport, uh, I don't notice people wearing them. They're pretty good, consistent users where I live, but when I uh, visit my wife in Mississippi and I stop in the towns on the way, I don't see anybody, I don't see people using it. So uh, also another thing is I'm actually more scared of the uh, non-clinical staff than I am of the uh, physicians and nurses because I think they will do the right thing. But a lot of, uh, you know, non-healthcare workers go to weddings without masks. Everybody has to get masks. I'm back in the South. There's always a wedding. Got to have a hundred people at your wedding. Got to not wear a mask at your wedding. It's just like, so I'm, I'm more concerned about the community and the uh, non-health workers in my uh, situation than I am with the actual like doctors it, and nurses. It, it is interesting, uh, Anand, because uh, my daughter, who is a med student in D.C., she's here for uh, Christmas. She did all the right things, put in all, you know, she came here with the right gear on the airplane, everything, and covered up tight. And she went out for a walk uh, yesterday uh, with her mother, and she rushed back and said, I can't do this. Nobody here follows any kind of protocol. You know, we're here in Texas. And she just ran back to the house and says, you know, in D.C., everybody's covered up. You know, yeah. she said they're taking it seriously. Here my my uncle visited Houston from Massachusetts for a month, and he said nobody's following the rules of Texas compared to Massachusetts. Right. And, you know, I think that the stats are actually bearing that out. Now, um, let, let me ask, you know, the reason I didn't want – I wanted to just get your – statement as far as how you felt uh this pandemic was going uh, from a from a uh, from the perspective of the medical system how do you think the, the the pandemic is where are we in it i think it's worse than ever i think um it's everywhere now um you know i think there was a perception at the beginning that it was a blue state urban immigrant sort of thing because when it started out it was sort of new york detroit new orleans um, and wasn't happening in the rural areas. And now if you look at the numbers, I, last I checked per capita, North and South Dakota were the worst in the country. Mm -hmm. Basically, um, North of Kansas, Iowa is bad. <clears throat> Wisconsin is bad. Um, my old job in Ohio, when I worked in May or June in the COVID unit, we had maybe a dozen to 20 people in the COVID unit. I text back my colleagues back there. There's like 70 now. So, As in seven zero? Seven zero versus yeah. one one. Yeah, seven zero. The, like a dozen to twenty has now become like sixty to seventy. Wow. So, uh, again, even within Ohio, it started out in Cleveland area first. You know, the big immigrant, more cosmopolitan city. People who have had, had travel, but now it's generalized everywhere. So um, the thing that people don't understand is that healthcare is concentrated in the cities and in you're in rural areas, you get worse care. I and mean, there's no doubt about it. And um, everywhere I've worked and I've worked in uh, four uh, now five States. Now, um, if you're in these rural uh, areas, you don't want to wear a mask. Well, there's not many beds at the hospital near you. Uh, I'm sorry to say you're better off getting sick in uh, 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 a bigger city in general before the pandemic than you would <laughs> now with the pandemic, the cities are full and there's no capacity in the rural areas. Where are they going to send you now? So people. Right. So what you're yeah. seeing then, um, Anand, is that um, based on based on what you're seeing, uh, the rural areas are getting hit very hard. You said that I think you're in Shreveport or no? Yeah, I'm in Shreveport. You're in but Shreveport. But I think rural areas everywhere are getting hit. I mean, they're getting hit. They don't understand that 
rural people, in, in, when, well, let's just talk about healthcare, need the cities. When you don't have what's available locally, you have to transfer them to the closest city. And in, in where I live in North Louisiana, I'm in the big city, which is not that big, but we have the medical school. So that's the big right, city. Right, Shreveport, yeah. So yeah, that's the main medical city in the north of Louisiana. So uh, if Shreveport is full with people with COVID locally, they can't start taking in people from elsewhere. And, uh, you know, there's small, medium, large. We're the large in this area. The medium cities might, might start getting filled up. And then they might be taking transfers. Even mid-tier cities, uh, like where I was working in Ohio, was like a, a, a mid-tier city. We, we were basically accepting the patients from what I call like bandage stations. Mm-hmm. You know, the hospitals, you know, 20 miles out from where I was, 20, 30 miles out for them, they basically don't offer much of anything. Um, and we were the receiving. So I think we were like a second level, second tier hospital. And then if we got something very bad, we would send it to Cleveland or Dayton or Columbus. You know, that, that's, how, that's how these things work. And when it comes to ICU capacity, um, you don't want to be in an ICU in a rural area. They may not even have an ICU. It's interesting because uh, with all of this that is occurring, uh, the people that most uh, have a, a concern or, or, or most rebel against wearing masks are the people who, when they get sick, will have the least support from their system, from the given, again, these are a lot of rural areas, et cetera. And these people, you know, they don't believe it's real. Now, how real is COVID-19? Isn't COVID-19 just the flu? Isn't COVID-19 just going to give you a little bit of a, a cold with a few body aches and then call it a day? Is that what it is, Sanan? Uh, no, this is not a flu. I mean, the flu exists, it happens. And uh, I don't know with this new strain in England, I don't know how deadly to call it now, but, you know, uh, a flu does kill people and we don't take it seriously enough. This is much worse than that. This leads to long-term side effects, uh, uh, you know, mental, uh, 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 physiological, a uh, lot of like, like disability, like people having trouble walking afterwards. Yeah, it's mostly older people, but just because you get it and you survive doesn't mean other, the rest of your body is okay. It's not a respiratory disease only. Very early, uh, I remember. Uh, uh, let, let me stop you because I think it's important for you to, uh, to, to stress that. When people talk about the flu, it's mostly a respiratory disease, mostly. Yes. But when it comes to COVID, COVID have, uh, has proven to be systemic, correct? Yes. Yeah, that, that's why it stands for SARS, Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome, but it is a multi- systemic inflammatory disease that's why they have blood clots you know there are people dying of covid not from respiratory disease i think a friend not really a friend but one of my classmates from beaumont his dad died and i want to say it wasn't from the lung it was from the clots he got from the right so uh and then we have no idea what the long-term sequelae are i mean people in the, the general public also doesn't know and again i didn't know until i was in residency uh there's something called post icu syndrome there is something called PTSD from being in ICU. This is before COVID. If you were in ICU, you get ICU delirium. You can get PTSD from being intubated, sedated, people poking and drawing blood off of you all the time. And people do have long-term effects. Just being in an ICU, uh, forget about COVID, just being in an ICU is dangerous for your mental and physical health long-term. Um, so that's not a joke either. That is, that is sad. Okay, let's let's also, let's go now to where, to kind of, branch off because you know i am a medicare for all i don't want to call it a preacher i don't want to call it a fanatic but supporter because i believe it's the only 
solution to our medical problem. Now, given the amount of systemic problems that we can have with COVID, isn't this one of the diseases that should make us uh, make it much easier to support the Medicare for All uh, policies? Uh, yes. Um, yes, it should be, but it's not. Uh, but my, my next question then is, what must we do? You are you are deep into the uh, deep in with organizations that are in fact pushing for Medicare for all, among other things. What can we do going forward to show that, given that this thing is systemic, given that there are a lot of twenty-something-year-olds and thirty-something-year-olds that likely who get this, that likely will have organ damage that won't show up until ten years down the road. And likely, if we don't have the right policies, insurance companies are going to dump you and say that's a pre-existing condition. How? I'm Robert Conti, chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelt save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber. Signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal. We sell that to the masses right now. There's a, hmm, that's a tough one. Uh, and I will answer with a novel. Which well, you give novel. speeches a lot. You talk a whole lot to organizations. I do, what I do. What do you tell them to do? Well, I haven't told anyone on this topic lately, but there was, a, you talk about your daughter, you talk about the youth, you talk about, you know, I'm trying to get involved with Doctors for Bernie, which has now become the Health Workers Collective with DSA now. And I have to proceed, you know, because now the people, I'm not as a spring chicken anymore, I suppose, but I'm trying to get people, uh, you know, what do they want to do? They want to know from people like us what we, they should do. Well, I'll answer. There's a very famous novel, and perhaps your daughter's heard of it, called The House of God, and it's from like 1970s. Famous mm -hmm. novel about residency in the 1970s in internal medicine at Harvard, but he doesn't call it Harvard. He calls it man's best uh, medical school, BMS. And man's, uh, instead of Massachusetts General Hospital, he calls it man's uh, greatest hospital, MGH. So um, it, it's a story about how terrible and inhumane the medical system was at that time. Of course, now you and I would look back at maybe that was the better days. Right. You know, in terms of, well, you know, a lot of the political issues, some, some of those things were a lot better. Um, well, he wrote a sequel uh, last year called uh, Man's Fourth Best Hospital. And in the sequel... Uh, he talks about the main characters going back to that hospital and how they have new troubles that they never imagined. It was no longer uh, the doctors were not humanistic. They weren't uh, caring about the patient. They weren't using hospice. You know, there was all these things. There was a, the, obviously sexism. And at the time it was the Vietnam War. So he was always upset about Nixon. You know, it's like Nixon is the least of our problems now. And he talks about the medical uh, billing system and how it just makes money and how it's related to uh, big finance because the tech companies create EMRs, which are so expensive, they're even bankrupting 
very rich hospital systems, including in Houston, MD Anderson, I think has issues with their billing system. And he is saying, again, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I, I did see an epic rollout in one of the hospitals I worked at. They charge a lot of money and not just to install the software, to maintain the software. They charge big money. It puts hospitals in debt. And then the hospitals have to respond. Any debt you have to has to be paid back and you pay it back by oppressing the doctors and nurses further. There's just no other way to, to make- So you're saying, you're saying the billing system that these hospitals use come from the outside and that these people on the outside are attempting, that, that a lot of the billing that the hospital have to do is to recover costs from just a billing system. Yes. Something yes. that does nothing other than collect a bill, almost like an no, insurance. No, 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 it does more than that. It collect, well, that's the problem. It is supposed to be for documentation. Right. And, and, and billing. So the problem with an American EMR is that it's all designed for billing. It's not designed for medical care. That's right. why the VA and the Indian Health Services, which used to have their own EMR, but Jared Kushner recently canceled them. Uh, they had their own EMR. It's designed totally differently. And it was designed to provide clinical care. Our EMRs are designed to comply with government regulations. Uh, government regulations probably subsidized with by legislators subsidized by one of these two companies. Both of them are in the Midwest. Epic is in Wisconsin, big supporter of the Democrats. And there is another one in uh, Kansas City, which is uh, Cerner. And these are mega companies. And I lived in Kansas City briefly, and they are sprouting offices left and right. And these two companies represent a huge percentage of the market. And if you don't want to use them, you have to use really suboptimal technology. Like paper. Yeah. Well, no. Well, there's a few third companies around there, but they're terrible. I I mean, I... They're terrible. The really the options besides those two is, is, is just like it's like everything in America. Everything is a duopoly. You go to Walmart or Target. You go to mm-hmm. Home Depot or you go to Lowe's. You get Coca Cola or you get Pepsi. You know, like there's never a third always two one. majors and everybody else yeah. are the fringe. Yeah. yeah, you go to CVS or Walgreens. That's it. There's no there's never a third choice. You know, and so um, so he and and I can guess that this is based on a lot of research. What he was saying. Anyway, to get into what happens, he he, he in the story, I'll, I'll sort of end the, the book. Basically, the experiment to have a humanistic healthcare practice that 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 pays and um, both is good for the doctors and nurses because doctors have a lot of burnout, especially in primary care medicine. Um, uh, he, he, the, the, the the hero of the story kind of has this uh, uh, humane medical practice that does very well, but then something happens, and at the end of the day, the whole system collapses. But a medical student uh, on the rotation with them. Uh, he says, well, you know what we're going to do is we're going to set a date of 2025. And all the, all the doctors, all the nurses, all the uh, uh, janitors, all the people who work in healthcare, the people who do the work for a living, not the administrators who may have MD or RN behind their names, but everyone who does work for the healthcare system, we will go on strike until we have Medicare for all. And announce it five years in advance. This is the actual ending of this novel. This is a very famous novel. And this is the sequel. And uh, the, 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 not the oldies, but the new generation, uh, she goes and after she's disappointed with what happens, she raises a bunch of uh, people, radicalizes them. And they all say that we will determine the healthcare system. Those who work will determine where we work. And we will determine what happens, not, not administrators, not other people. And uh, they go on strike at the end in the epilogue and they win and everything becomes humane. And the book actually starts 
in Costa Rica, where health where you have socialized medicine. Yes, <laughs> right. Yes, which is known to actually be for developing country one of the best healthcare systems in the world. It but sure is. The but the commitment to health is a political commitment. The political system of Costa Rica and certain other countries, very poor countries. Uh, 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 or, or even a few states in India, Kerala, Tamil Nadu recently uh, is another one that they tar- that they mention. There has to be a strong political commitment to health. We don't have that in our political system. That's um, what we have to make, though, Anand. That is what we have to make. We and and I think this is where grassroots is so important. I think we have to get the grassroots involved. Uh, more so than ever, because that is what's going to take against all these big forces. You know, I have this this statement that I call insurance companies are nothing more than choosing which plantation you want to work on. I noticed well, I didn't say work same with the, say, say the two parties, you know. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're absolutely right. And, and that's the thing I've been trying to explain to people, because, you know, in Texas, I had a certain view of politics. Then I lived up north for eight years and I came back and I have to say, like, the coalitions that have to be made are going to need to be of low income people yes or, or people who work for a living have to make these coalitions right because as long as you have two types of poor people in two different parties nothing is going to work you it's not going to work magic that and you know what that is the reason i take the stance that i take that is the reason i even wrote this book how to talk to your right-wing families, et cetera, because we have to get them all involved right, to get right. this well, Medicare for all going. Well, well, why is Louisiana, at least in terms of healthcare access, better than Texas? Because of Huey Long. Right. Texas never had a Huey Long. And Huey Long, if you don't know, uh, a lot of people of both races are named after him, including the Black Panther. Yes. Uh, Huey Newton is named after Huey Long. And Huey Long even though, yes, there was racism, there was segregation, all of that is true. He did more for the health of all poor people in Louisiana because before he was governor, there was no LSU medical school. There was Mm -hmm. only Tulane. And he specifically built a state healthcare system, which Texas doesn't have. The state government has multiple hospitals throughout the state and, and the medical school, LSU, and then the LSU eventually in Shreveport, would train a new generation to do research uh, treat patients and do research and deliver. All three things have to happen. What we're having is our top places, they might just do the research. They're not delivering to the rural areas. They're not out there to help the other people. And the, I think the ideal, if from what I understand, I mean, I'm new here in Louisiana, I think the original idea was to have a state healthcare system with a state university st- uh, attached to that and deliver that healthcare to the poor people. Because in Louisiana, honestly, everyone is poor rural or urban, everybody is poor. And the problem with Texas is there's just enough rich people to make them think they can all be rich. And, and, and there's not enough rural people. And there was never a Huey Long. That's the problem with Texas. And the cowboy culture, the cowboy thing, I think is another problem with the Texas culture. Well, why, look, why is healthcare access so much better just across the river? I mean, Louisiana is backwards in many, many, many other right. Don't, don't even get me wrong, but why is healthcare access better in Louisiana than Texas? That's the magic, and I'm glad you said that. And you know, we, you were talking earlier when we started the conversation, Egberto. Exactly what are we going to talk about? You hit the magic plug. We are going to have to get all people, not through a duopoly of poor people, but all people in both parties and all parties together on the bottom. That's going to demand this. Uh, we are out of time, Anan. That's the magic uh, answer of the day. 
Thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. As usual, you, you young men always have a word of wisdom. Thank you so kindly for being here, brother. Great to be here. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we are at a crossroads. I want folks to start remembering engagement, political engagement should be a requirement for citizenship. That's one of the logos on my uh, website. It is important that we remain engaged because this government is you. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let anybody else tell you, oh, somehow the government, this is the government, that if you're speaking badly about the government, you're speaking badly about yourself. We have to be engaged. We have to be the ones in control. We have to be the ones that run our own government. You can't run something if you despise it. I love my government, and I intend to be a part of it, and so should you. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. I have an urgent message. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities have increased in D.C., and I need your help to reverse this troubling trend. Did you know that using a seatbelt can drastically reduce the risk of death or serious injury to you or a loved one? Seatbelts save lives, and together we can accomplish a safer community. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Always wear your seatbelt. Click it or ticket. Introducing touch-free payments from PayPal, a safe way for your customers to pay. Simply download the PayPal app and display your own unique QR code for your customers to scan. Whether you're a market seller, I'll take two tomatoes and a poodle pamperer, <laughs> piano tuner, or plumber, signing up to accept touch-free payments for your business is easy. Touch-free QR code payments. Shop safe with PayPal.